Are you attractive? Now, that's an odd question, and you probably haven't been asked that today, or maybe you saw yourself in the mirror this morning and you asked the question of yourself, am I attractive? No, I'm not. Well, I don't look in the mirror, and perhaps that may be something that you want to do yourself. Just don't look in the mirror this morning, and you can bypass all this. But my question is, are you attractive? Now, of course, I am not talking about cultural attractiveness. I don't mean that at all. I am speaking of another kind of attractiveness, and I want to know if you are that way. Now, the peak of attractiveness has a biblical look to it, and we know what it looks like. His name is Jesus. Jesus was attractive. And here's what I want you to think about. Jesus was a holy and righteous man, and non-religious people were comfortable hanging with him. Do you hear the antithesis? He was a holy and righteous man, but yet non-religious people were comfortable hanging with him. That's the picture of attractiveness that I'm going for here in this podcast. The question that I'm asking you is, do difficult fallen, imperfect, and challenging people find you attractive? Welcome to the podcast. I'm Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. Here's the title of the podcast. If you want to find it on our website, it is a 2,000-plus word article. You are welcome to read it. That would be fantastic. It is, Are You Attractive? A way to know is if sinners hang with you. You don't have to make some kind of subjective assessment about your attractiveness. One of the ways that you can know is if sinners, are gra- if they gravitate toward you. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But if you do want to read the article, please go to the website. And also, did you know that there is a print button at the bottom of all of our articles? There is. You can print our articles off in a PDF. You can share them. You can use them in, in so many different contexts. As, as counselors, many counselors use them as homework assignments. Uh, one lady prints off our articles and puts them in a book, a three-ring binder. Go for it. Fantastic. And so please use them uh, in the way that you see fit to help you personally as well as those who are within your sphere of care. And so that print button is at the bottom of all of our articles. Now, the way that I want to get into this is I want to share a verse that you have probably heard before. It is from Luke's Gospel. It is the 15th chapter, and it's verses 1 and 2. There are two sentences here. Let me read them. It says, first sentence, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, there are two things happening. Well, there's several things happening in this verse, but two things that are right here on the surface is that the Pharisees and the scribes were not that happy about Jesus encroaching upon their territory. But what I want to focus on and and what I find compelling about this verse, as well as convicting, is that this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's what the Pharisees and scribes said. And so the question that I'm asking myself is, Jesus was a holy and righteous man. I mean, he was clean cut, had his suit coat on, necktie, shine shoes, going to the church meeting. And all these dirty sinners wanted to hang out with him. 
what was it about Christ that was so attractive that people who were so different from him wanted to hang with him? Now, that is a good question for to ask, but to ask of yourself personally, as I'm asking of myself. Now, maybe what would be good for you here is I'm going to give you a list of people groups, a diverse list of people groups. I'm not saying that they're religious or irreligious. I'm just merely stating, I'm starting here with this list, and I'm saying that most of them, as you listen, they're not like you. And it would be great if you ask this question, are are these people attracted to me? Now, perhaps the more heart-targeted question that you can ask as I run through this non-exhaustive list is, which one of these people groups do you struggle with the most, and what does that reveal about you? We're talking about being attractive. Specifically, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So here's a group of sinners— Are they attracted to you? Are sexually confused people attracted to you? Are ethnic groups attracted to you, meaning the ethnic group that does not represent you? Are thin and obese people attracted to you? Are poor and rich people attracted to you? Are your relatives attracted to you? Are your spouse and children attracted to you? Do these people draw near to you the way they would to Jesus? Do they want to hear what you have to say because your attractiveness is just that compelling? Now, perhaps it would be instructive to look at your kind, your friend list, your people group, to see if you're only attractive to folks who are like you. That would be bad, by the way. And though everyone did not like Jesus, there is no question that the man was attractive to those who were not like him, to those who were not holy and not righteous, as well as those who were religious, not like him. Nicodemus in John 3, 1, he was attracted to Jesus, that religious Pharisee. And so the concept of attractiveness It does not imply that every sinner in the world will follow you. Not true. From that perspective, Jesus did not do well because there were multitudes who chose not to follow him because of his, let's say, Christocentric views. Now, perhaps on another day, I can talk about the repulsion aspect. It's repulsive aspect of the gospel, but it would convolute the point that I am making here. Another key to keep in mind as I move through this podcast is that the attractiveness that I'm talking about is not because you are a worldly person. You see, somebody say, well, he attracts sinners because he, he acts like them. And there are many Christians who are attractive to sinners because they act like them. So it's vital to keep this view in mind. Jesus was not attractive to the irreligious because he was irreligious. Again, he was a holy man, but there were many unholy people interested in him. If your life and example do not have an attractive quality, 
you will compromise your ability to penetrate and engage your sphere of influence. Evangelism demands that you are attractive. Now, as you know, it's not you in the most technical sense that is attractive. It is Christ in you that has the drawing power. And so just as in the day when Jesus walked on earth, it's those same qualities that attract folks today. Back then, it was Christ that was attractive. Today, it is Christ in you that is attractive. When some people think about this and talk about this, they they teach that you should become like the world to attract them to your message and to your meetings. And then, of course, on the other side of the aisle, the reactionaries, they fire back with, well, we should not be like the world. We're different, and and they show their differences by how they dress and where they go and what they do. Do you hear how both groups, the seekers who want to imitate the world— And those who react to it want to be as different from the world as possible. Do you hear how both groups miss the point? Because they focus on the externals, which was not what was so attractive about Jesus at all. I mean, if you push the be like the world message too far, well, you would have to become gay, smoke weed, bar hop watch ungodly things to relate to the sinner because you have become like the world. If you just push it far enough, or if you react too far with an antithetical response, you'll be so religiously distant by your acts of separation that the world will see you as a weird anomaly, and they will steer away from you so they don't catch what you have. And so this idea of attractiveness, by using the concept of externals, well, we have one group who thinks externally by looking like the world, and another group that reacts to it, and again, both of them are wrong. Participating in what the world does or distancing yourself from what the world does are two approaches that miss the actual need of the attractiveness concept. There is no Bible support to say Jesus spent time thinking about either of these two things, the seeker-sensitive movement or the rigid legalist. Jesus, Jesus was different. In fact, you could say it this way. Jesus was Jesus. He was not irreligious. And he was not religious. He was not like sinners. I mean, it was not like sinners hanging with sinners and the religious huddling with the religious. Jesus transcended both cultures by choosing to relate to those who were drawing near to him. You could say that Jesus was supra-cultural. One of the central tenets of the seeker-sensitive movement is not to be religious. Now, I'm not picking on them. I'm not. 
but but I'm pointing out how our preferences can become the primary criteria when we think about relating to others. You see, the seekers want to model the culture in some way. So when sinners come to their services, they won't feel uncomfortable with what they see or what they sense. Now, there is some merit to this perspective. We're not throwing the the baby out with the bathwater because I do understand what they want to accomplish. The problem is that if the style of clothes, the style of music, or the style of fill in your preference, if that becomes the primary talking point when building a church culture, you've already lost before you even open the doors. You can attract folks with your shorts. You can attract folks with your suit coats. You can attract folks with both. You can draw people in by your traditional service, your contemporary service, your blended service. But do you see the problem with preferences becoming primary? Now, each church must decide how they present themselves to the public. No church can accommodate every preference. Make a decision. But if you make the mistake of preferences, clothes, music, other styles, as being the driver, you do not understand the attractiveness of Jesus. People's attraction to Jesus was not the style of his toga or whether he played the drums. There was an appealing and deeper righteousness to this man. And so don't miss my point. Now, let me rag on the anti-community crowd a bit because I was busting on the seeker-sensitive crowd. The anti-contemporary crowd, the traditionalists, I'll call them here, they believe that dressing or singing like the world with all of their instrumentation compromises biblical standards. They hold fast to tradition. And by the way, tradition to them means anything 30 or more years before Today And so you go back 30, day, 30 years, and anything before that, that falls within the parameters of tradition. For example, a little irony here, many of their biblical, put biblical in air quotes, remember their biblical, many of their biblical songs would be bar tunes from the late 1800s. But as long as you're not doing anything within this generation's time frame, you're fine And so the seekers believe the traditionalists are stuck in the mud and need to get over themselves. The traditionalists believe the seekers are compromisers and are too much into themselves. Both groups wear their religion on their sleeves primarily. Now, I realize there is more nuance than what I am presenting here, but I'm only making one single point I, what I'm making is, is that the behavioristic worldview that both groups embrace is wrong. And you'll hear it in their language. Perhaps you can assess for yourself what I'm saying by listening to their respective word clouds, the words they choose, 
when they talk about connecting to the culture, most of the words that they choose when talking about connecting to the culture, relating, about being attractive, we're talking about, to the culture, the word cloud would be something like styles, preferences, relevance, tradition, compromise, and other external relatability-type words. What you won't hear often is how to create a culture of attractiveness that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. The word cloud that you don't hear is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I can't help but believe that when people saw Jesus, it was not the toga, whether it was one of them high-wearing togas or one of them dust-grabbing togas. But I can't help but believe when they were around Jesus, what was attractive was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things drew folks to him. Let me give you an illustration, one more illustration about that I, I am contrasting behavioristic external attractiveness, whether it's the seeker-sensitive movement or the traditional movement, I, I am contrasting that with Christ, his attractiveness, which again is deeper than externals. Let me give you another illustration. When your typical middle schooler comes to a cool and relevant youth meeting, the caring youth leader wants to relate to this person. Now, please, we hear what I said. Caring youth leader. The youth leader is genuine, sincere, etc. The leader logically concludes that the best way to do this is to fashion the service according to what the worldly teenager experiences in the culture. The youth leader becomes a competitor to the world by essentially saying, what we offer is as cool as what you find in the world, but it's cleaner. You see how the Youth meeting is sculpted as a mirror image of what the teen experiences in the world, except it's cleaner, because, again, they're making attractiveness primarily 1A about externals. And so on the surface, the youth leader has connected with the student, but he has not connected where it matters. The traditional youth leader will do something similar but different according to their prefer preferred way of crafting a youth meeting. Both leaders say they are relating to their audience because they have the numbers to prove it. Now, I realize many traditional youth groups are dwindling because they are not relevant, and those who see this say that they need to make a change to contemporary so they can attract more significant numbers. And that's the key idea, more significant numbers. But let's say, for the sake of this illustration, that both of these leaders are right. The contemporary youth leader, he's right because he's fashioned the service according to what this person experiences in the world. And then the traditional youth leader, they fashion their meeting differently, but they're still connecting on an external level. The kids came to these meetings, and they liked them. What did the leaders accomplish? 
they pulled a particular demographic into their meetings because of what they used to attract them through the five senses. The real question is, have you connected to these kids the way Jesus connected to his audience? I'm not arguing here about the validity of one meeting style over the other. I am asking a deeper question. I hardly care what your meeting looks like, but I greatly care if you are connecting with kids where you need to in order to engage them biblically. In John 7, 46, this short sentence says this, The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. That's what the officers said. They went to arrest him. There was a detachment sent to arrest Jesus. As they stood on the perimeter of the crowd, listening to his words, his words struck at their hearts. When the officers came back, the authorities asked why they did not arrest him. The officers were so amazed by what they saw and what they heard from Jesus that they either forgot to do their job or they lost all desire to do it. Jesus had a way that went below the surface into the heart. What that detachment of men did not say was, Never a man dressed like this man. Or, Never a man played all of our favorite songs like this man. Or, never a man had such a cool soul patch like this man. Imagine if a middle schooler came to your traditional or contemporary youth meeting and was so struck by what he heard from and saw in the people that he forgot about the style of the room, the style of the clothing, or the musical choices. What you would have is a supra-styled youth meeting. Jesus' way of connecting transcended these sublunary considerations. After people hung with him for a while, they just seemed to forget about the preferential matters. In fact, an illustration of this is John 4, 28, the woman at the well. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I mean, she just forgot what she was doing because she was so enthralled at that interaction that she had with Jesus. The question that I'm asking in this podcast, are you attractive? Not because of the peripherals, not because of the externals, not because of the style. I hardly care about the style. People did not come to Jesus because he was up to date on their styles. They came to him because he had the words of life that fitted the needs of their hearts. If you can identify what is wrong with a person and offer them life-changing truths so that they can be set free, you'll be in an enviable position of having all sorts of, of sinful people 
attracted to you. There will be folks who don't want what you have, of course, but it should not be because of you. If the gospel is going to be an offense, let the gospel be the offense. But you don't have to be. There should be something about you that resonates with the human condition because you are the same as those in which you are engaging. They are image bearers who need the Lord. Jesus could speak into their lives. He did have that deep insight into what was wrong with them and practical solutions for how they could experience change. And they could intuit this about him because he talked differently from the rest of the religious crowd. It wasn't religion or irreligion that was the attraction. It was a man who was different from the rest. <laughs> you could say Jesus was, Jesus was genuinely Christ-like. The title of the podcast is, Are You Attractive? A way to know is, If Sinners Hang With You. That's the title. I want you to read it. Let's jump into the call to action. I have three, I have a set of questions here, three questions for you. Number one, do people sense that you can help them when they talk to you? This is a key question for you to reflect upon. Because when people talk to Jesus, they sense that he could help them. And that is attractive. Everybody in the world is hurting. Everybody is suffering to varying degrees. Everybody is afraid. Everybody is anxious. Everybody's got something to worry about. There are no exceptions to this rule. We all struggle to varying degrees. And so when someone talks to you, do they sense that this person can help me? That's the first step to biblical attractiveness. Number two. Do you have deep insight into what is wrong with people? Are you able to discern their brokenness? And so when they talk to you, they sense that, I think this person can help me. No other man speaks like this man, or no other woman speaks like this woman. Okay, that's step one. Step two, now do you have deep insight into what is wrong with people, the human condition to where you can where you can help them, you can offer them something. And then question number three, are you able to connect the Word of God to their eternal chaos? God's Word speaks into our chaotic lives, into our chaoticness. And so the three things that will make you attractive are, do people sense that you can help them, number one? Number two, do you possess deep insight into what is wrong with people, the human condition? And number three, can you connect the Word of God to that internal chaos? Now, if you can't do this, well, you you should be able to at least do step one. The woman at the well became an attractive person, not because she had five men and she was culturally attractive, I'm going to assume, but she became another kind of attractive person, but yet she didn't have deep insight, point number two, and she could not connect the Word of God to eternal chaos, point number three. But... 
as at that point, after that engagement with Jesus, there was a sense that this woman was different. And you see it in the narrative in John 4. Before Jesus met her, she was a half-breed Samaritan Jewish woman who had five husbands, and the one that she was sleeping with was not her husband. Okay, well, that, that's just her, her chaotic life. After she met Jesus, there was a dynamic change, and you should be this way as well. Minimally, people should sense that you have something. Now, maybe you have to connect them with somebody else because you don't have the deep insight yet as far as what is wrong with people, point number two. And then point number three, you're not able to practicalize the gospel in such a way that will help them transformationally. That's okay. You can get there. But people minimally should find you attractive because they sense that you are different. Now, if you want to grow in how to practicalize the gospel in real-world ways, well, that's what we do here. We have a training program that you can be part of called our Mastermind Program, and you can jump in it. It's a two- to three-year program, depending on your pace. It's all self-paced, and you do it all online. You never have to travel. You can do it while you're sheltering in place. And it is designed specifically to teach a person how to connect the Word of God to the internal internal chaos that people have. There's a little bit more to this call to action here, but I'm not going to be able to get to it, but the article's here. It's free. It's sitting right here, and you're welcome to read it. Are you attractive? A way to know is if sinners hang with you. I trust you don't live in that echo chamber where everybody in your world is just like you. That would be sad. You need to change. You want sinners. You want people who are different from you coming to you because they see the attractiveness of Christ inside of you. If you want to talk about this article, this podcast, please jump on our website, our free community forums.